Trade Talks, bringing you the best of the buy side. So welcome back to another Trade Talks podcast. I know it's been a while, but we've been very busy at the trade, as you probably have seen. So uh, we've got a few things to look over today. But first of all, let's introduce my two partners in crime. We have Annabelle and Haley. How are you guys doing today? Good. Thanks, guys. How are you? I'm very good. Uh, had a nice uh, few days off, so I'm feeling very recharged. And Annabelle, how about you? Yeah, really good. Looking forward to Christmas. Ooh, everyone's getting very giddy for it. So uh, <laughs> just two big announcements I want to make before we do the show rundown q4 magazine for the trade is out issue 66 annabelle why don't you tell us what's been happening in that issue sure um it's a really interesting issue um it's just become available online we've got some features looking at the changing face of risk during the pandemic um people moves from the sell side to the buy side we've got a great feature looking at the various endless list of exchanges that have somehow shut down throughout this year and then we've got a great piece as well um, with some future predictions from market participants about what the market's going to look like next year. It's a very good read. I've already had a first sneaky look at it. But yeah, like Annabelle said, it is available online. It's free online. So you can find that at the trade if you want to have a little read through. Now, Haley, uh, we have a event happening next year in the early part of the year in 2021. Uh, the Leaders in Trading Digital Experience, uh, LitDex. What can you tell us about that, Haley? Yeah, so this is really exciting news. Um, I know lots of our readers have been wondering how we're going to be doing our, our Leaders in Trading Awards this year. And I think um, due to the due to the pandemic and, and the events, it's been difficult for us to, to host our event as we usually would at the Savoy, unfortunately. Um, but we are going to be hosting a, a digital event in February. So this is called Leaders in Trading, the Digital Experience. And we're going to be running through our usual awards. So we're going to see the 2020 Algorithmic Trading and EMS Survey Outperformers. And also, of course, the Buy Side Awards, which is going to be open to industry votes. Uh, and I believe it will be this week that we're, that we're opening that. So, yeah, really exciting. We're going to be announcing the winners through, you know, very specially produced digital presentations throughout February. And... Um, yeah, keep your eyes peeled. Uh, the voting, I believe, uh, will start early later this week. So keep your eyes open for the voting. And yes, I'm very excited to work on these projects. So uh, let's just go through the show rundown as per usual. We'll start with a look at some of the top news stories we've been writing about. And then we're going to jump into an interview with Adam Inzerillo. He is head of equities in North America for SIBO. So we've got an interview with him later on. And then we're going to end the show with some people moves. So who's going to start us off with some of the news stories we've been looking at? How about Annabelle, you start us off? So we had quite an interesting update with the Deutsche Bank and Google Cloud partnership um, last week, which we covered. Um, they entered into a multi-year strategic partnership to speed up Deutsche Bank's migration onto the cloud. Um, it's quite interesting because Deutsche Bank's been making quite a few updates to its sort of infrastructure and its operations in the last year or so. It's actually in the midst of a, a major business transformation where it's, you know, going through quite a big restructure. It's targeting, like reducing its costs down about six billion um, by 2022. And it's also um, looking to get rid of about 18,000 employees. So, you know, this deal being signed this week, it just shows their commitment to sort of moving to this sort of modernized version of what they're going for, um, what they're sort of planning to do through the partnership is maybe look at some new lending products, um, maybe looking at enhancing the bank's autobahn platform, 
But um, it's pretty exciting. They're also looking at maybe having some contributions from startups as well. So not just the two of them contributing to that, but possibly some cool ideas from some smaller firms. And Hayley, what have you been looking at? Uh, So one of the stories that really caught my eye recently has been the news that Goldman Sachs has launched its first algorithm on the Atlas trading platform. Now, some of you may remember, of course, that um, Goldman had announced plans about the Atlas platform some time ago. And um, this was a $100 million project. Uh, and it was aimed at sort of their hedge fund client base. They, you know, they're really looking to sort of speed up uh, trading for those those clients. And um, yeah, it sort of marks one of the the big sort of steps in in that platform. Um, so the algo is called Axis, and um, it's an order placement algorithm. It uses proprietary signals to predict price movements and volatility. And some of you may remember as well earlier in the year that we caught up with the um, Goldman Sachs electronic trading team who explained a lot about how they were revamping their electronic trading business and Atlas was a key part of that. And um, yeah, I just thought it was really interesting sort of following up from that interview that we did with the with the team in, in September. Oh yeah, it was a good interview and it was a good time going visiting those guys. So I, actually, I've got another story, a bit uh, crypto related. So it's uh, coming from SIBO Global Markets, who we're speaking with a little bit later, but nothing related to that interview. They have confirmed plans to create a crypto industry uh, early next year. Uh, after signing a major licensing agreement with uh, trading software provider CoinRoots, so uh, the license agreement SIBO uh, has signed, they've said it will use the real price data feed from CoinRoots to establish uh, digital assets, uh, indices and other custom index creations. So, uh, yeah, there's uh, another bit of little bit of cryptic news for you there. That, that's a really interesting story, I think, for the, the crypto space. Um, we're seeing a lot of um, movement in the custody side and, and the post trade side of things in terms of institutional crypto services. But it's interesting here that we We've seen an exchange group, you know, a big sort of main exchange operator, um, you know, start to now look at the market data side of things and, and the industry side of things for this. So, yeah, I thought that was a really interesting development for, for the crypto space. Yeah, and also the crypto space, just to mention, it did have a bit of a wild little uh, movements at the moment. Not sure what's uh, quite going on there, but uh, yeah. I'm still part of my investments. But uh, yeah, it's interesting <laughs> to see this, like you say, in a... Uh, more bigger players come into the fold and this is what they're always talking about is the more infrastructure and more confidence which is going into that crypto space uh, the more it seems to be doing well so yeah yeah it's it's in, it's interesting i think you know bitcoin's at an, an all-time high um at the moment so um yeah i think it's something that we perhaps will be looking at a little bit more closely um, at the trade next year. And I'm, I'm expecting, you know, far more developments in, in the, on the institutional side of things um, in, in the coming months, definitely. I think it was Arcax as well that recently got FCA approval. It's the first um, digital assets exchange to get FCA approval, which is really yeah, that's right. That was in the UK. Yeah, really, really interesting. Um, and I think the more that we see things like that happen, the more that we're going to see, you know, these institutional investors take, um, you know, more focus on on crypto and digital assets and, and things like that. So, yeah, it's it's really interesting stuff. So, Hayley, what else have you been looking at in the news? Um, BlackRock has uh, been doing some interesting stuff in um, sort of the sustainable investment space. So, um, obviously, with uh, their flagship Aladdin platform, which is their um, investment operations platform, basically, they've launched a, an application. It's called Aladdin Climate. 
and it's um, aimed at allowing investors to sort of quantify climate risk within their portfolios. Um, and I thought it was really interesting that um, Rob Goldstein, the chief operating officer at BlackRock, um, actually commented saying, there is no single issue that clients ask us more about than the impact of climate risk on their portfolio. So, yeah, so BlackRock really sort of um, making headway in the in the ESG space. And uh, I know that they said that they were going to add sort of far more ESG data and, and indicators on Aladdin through um, a new partnership with Refinitiv as well. So, um, yeah, that's that's another area that I think moving into 2021 that we'll continue to see big sort of huge developments in in this space. And, you know, Aladdin is is a massive platform um, across the, the investment industry. So any and, you know, with with BlackRock, the world's sort of largest asset manager, I think anything that these guys are, are doing, other people definitely sort of look and and follow. So, yeah, interesting stuff there. ESG again seems to be something that's really, you know, in the in the middle of a lot of discussions. I mean, Deutsche Bourse, they've just confirmed they're acquiring ISS. You've got like Optiver, um, that are sort of urging action from market participants about ESG. It seems to be that a lot of people are are paying it a lot more close attention this this year. Definitely, yeah. And I think that will increase um, you know, in, in the coming months. I think investors are now demanding it, aren't they, that ESG is is a complete focus for for you know funds and for portfolios, and I think the more that we see these guys like BlackRock taking it more seriously, then yeah, it's it's definitely something that's going to carry on um, into the future. And Annabelle, have you got one more story for me? I do, yeah. So it's actually quite an interesting story. I thought we can go through the podcast without talking somehow about COVID. So we've got this story that we covered a few weeks ago on the value of research and how research is valued by firms during the pandemic and how remote working conditions have impacted that. And I think this report by Substantive Research found that asset managers value meetings with analysts 47% less in remote working conditions that have been forced by the pandemic. So obviously, with everyone having to work from home, most of these meetings are happening virtually, and this is causing people to, to value them less than before. There were 20 asset managers that were surveyed, and again, 40% said they had recalculated or reduced their pre-agreed research payment budgets, again, due to market uncertainty and structural changes. We're just seeing over the last couple of months how the pandemic has actually changed the market on a permanent basis for some participants. So it's interesting to see what other developments there will be in this space. That's right. And I've got another story here. It's uh, actually uh, another survey, an annual survey from Virtue Financial. And the survey suggests that uh, it might be a while before the buy side arrange in-office meetings with brokers. So uh, yeah, kind of tying to this, uh, the survey, which uh, surveyed 159 buy-side market participants uh, globally, it found that 70% of buy-siders around the world said that they do not expect to meet with brokers in person anytime soon due to the ongoing pandemic. Now, the results showed that only 5% of the respondents stated that their offices are currently open uh, to visitors, while less than 5% expect visits with brokers to resume in the next three months. And uh, fewer than 20% expect uh, in-office visits in the next six months. So, uh, again, interesting stuff which is happening with the whole pandemic. We're not quite sure. But uh, Greenwich also had a a similar survey and found uh, similar results. Uh, They revealed that just 4% of compliance professionals expect traders to return to in-house trading desks full-time in the post-pandemic world. So it's, again, like, like what you were saying. This has permanently changed it. I think we're definitely going to see uh, permanently, well, people remaining working from home. So uh, it's interesting. It's interesting now to see as uh, news around COVID develops, uh, if these 
will change the brokers' positions and how they feel about uh, coming into the office? I think the market's definitely changing for, you know, the long term now. And it's just, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what other developments there are and what other changes there are, because you know, it's certainly adapted to these new and sort of extreme conditions. Well, stick with us, guys, because our interview next is with Adam Inzerillo. He is the head of North American Equities at SIBO Global Markets. And we're going to be discussing the rise of off-exchange trading. So stick with us for that. The Trade Talkers. So our guest on The Trade Talks is Adam Inzerillo. He is the head of North American Equities at SIBO Global Markets. Welcome to the show, Adam. How are you? Very good. Thank you for having me. Appreciate the uh, the opportunity to speak with you. Well, it's a pleasure for us to have you here. So I just want to start off with asking you to tell us about the recent rise of off-exchange trading and whether there has been a decline in displaced liquidity. Yeah, it's an interesting trend. Uh, we've been studying it uh, fairly closely. Um, you know, a couple of things from SIBO's perspective, you know, as you as you may be aware, you know, we recently revamped our data and analytical platform, and we've created an execution consulting team to put out various pieces and in industry-leading content around various market structure, as well as product-related items that we have at SIBO. Um, and more recently, we've been studying uh, the recent growth and TRF trends. And I think there's a couple of things worth noting, just to kind of put it in context um, one is, you know, if you compare to 2019 versus 2020, um, I think, believe, if I recall correctly, last year in 2019, there were roughly, you know, 17 or 19 days that were greater than 40 percent uh, off exchange trading uh, or the percentage um, of off exchange trading. This year, that number is greater than over 70 percent in intraday. We've also noticed another trend where we see that number or that percentage hitting close to 50%. So the, the main question is, where is that volume coming from? So if you think about TRF, which is the trade reporting facility, that would also be defined as any customer trade that is executed off exchange. So whether it's done through an alternative trading system, i.e. an ATS, um, through a single dealer platform, a central risk book, or a wholesaler who execute principally or riskless principle on behalf of retail order flow. And that's the general composition. Um, and that's actually how a TRF is, uh, is defined. And the real growth is really coming from uh, retail. So if you look at some of the publicly available statistics, uh, you can see some broker dealers are becoming a large percent of the total composite volume, as well as the percentage of occurring off exchange. So there's real value um, in, in a broker dealer in providing that principal execution. But at the same time, we have to look at exchanges and how we can compete fairly um, you know, with that order flow. And so we have some innovation that we're producing to be able to compete with that. Um, and I think we're studying the effects of spread uh, post-COVID. Uh, Pre-COVID, we did see the, you know, the impact of spread being fairly minimal. But post-COVID, we've started to see some impact, particularly around the S&P 500. So we'll be in a better position to answer that in short order. We do have a piece or a study that's coming out on that. So I think it's really just important to look at it in context year over year, the composition of the TRF. Uh, and now we're starting to study the effects of that, which could be other issues as well. Now, Adam, this year marks the launch of several new exchanges in the US, including the hotly anticipated Members Exchange. Now, do you believe the new markets will bring more competition to the exchange landscape or fragment liquidity and bring more complexity to execution for traders? You know, listen, competition is always good. I mean, you know, we're in a capitalistic society, so anytime that you can have competition, 
that spurs innovation, uh, investors in, in general will benefit from that. But I, I think it's hard to say, is this adding to fragmentation? I think we've already had a fragmented market for quite some time. Uh, and that's dating back to 2000, you know, the early 2000s, where uh, once ReganMS was implemented in 2007, uh, we start we started to see a proliferation of ETSs. You know, originally you saw the UBS, Morgan Stanley, Goldman trifecta, uh, where each broker dealer created a, a you know a multilateral agreement where they would route order flow to you know each of the ETSs, and they st- you saw that expand um, over time, and then you saw the proliferation of you know single deal platforms slash ELPs, which are principal mechanisms that trade on behalf of customer order flow. Uh, and now you've seen the rise in, you know, retail trading, uh, which represents somewhere around 20% of total composite volume based on our estimates. Um, so having two new exchanges uh, makes it difficult to compete with on-exchange trading, particularly with the regulatory constraints that we're held to today. And, and just to put that in perspective, we launched a retail priority to be able to compete and attract some of that order flow based on some empirical evidence and improvement and around best execution. And it took us over 110 days to launch that. Um, and that's from the time of you know, filing to getting the approval and then putting it into production. Uh, and when you think about it as a broker dealer, if you change your behavior or functionality at any one of those mechanisms, um, you're generally not held to the same standards. Even with ATSs, uh, which had some changes around how they file and, and put things out in public, they don't have to go through the same rigor uh, exchanges do. So. I think we've always had a fragmented market. Um, I think just adding MyX and Memex to it um, adds a bit, uh, makes it a bit more difficult to compete with on exchange trading. Uh, but I think SIBO is very well positioned with the continued innovation that we put forth. Uh, and then lastly, with that, you know, obviously there's some regulatory constraints that exchanges have to deal with uh, when trying to launch that innovation. And, and my example of retail priority is a perfect item that you know potentially the regulators should look to address in the future. Great. And moving on. It has been a quite a busy year for deals at SIBO with plans to acquire bids trading and the completed takeover of the dark pool match now from virtual financial earlier this year. What impact will the match now acquisition have on the industry? The purchase of match now uh, made sense just because Canada is so close to the US and there's a lot of Canadian domiciled uh, banks and brokers that route southbound flow, meaning orders that come to the US. Similarly, there's a lot of buy side firms and sell side firms that route order flow northbound. Uh, Canada is also, I believe, based on the most recent statistics, is the seventh largest equity market. So it made a lot of sense for us to be able to get into that space. Uh, the nice thing about Match Now represents about three and a half percent of market share. And more recently, it's about four and a half or 4.8 percent of total T- TSX listed securities. So it's a great opportunity for us uh, to get into that market, evaluate it. Uh, there's a great team up there. Uh, we have a, you know, a unique product offering with conditionals um, in Canada. Um, so you know, it's an awesome opportunity for us to um, get immediate uh, market share and then evaluate our next steps in terms of how we want to proceed in that market, which I think is ripe for disruption. Looking ahead at 2021, what are some of the key trends and developments you will be keeping a close eye on? Obviously, you know, front and center is the, you know, NMS governance proposal uh, that was approved uh, early in the year. Um, and then also more recently, the uh, NMS market structure infrastructure, you know, market data infrastructure proposal. Um, which, you know, I think for all intents and purposes, it's fairly consistent with our market structure reform document that we put out early in the year, meaning, you know, greater content, the the delivery of that content, 
And then also, you know, having odd lots represented um, in the public market from a protected standpoint. Um, obviously, there's some other areas that we'll take a closer look at. So I think that's kind of front and center. Uh, but I would like to see, you know, potentially the new administration get back to what they were originally designed for it was growing investor confidence um, and, you know, in trying to improve the markets. And, you know, they originally tried doing that with, you know, the improvements to ATSN, enhanced transparency, rule 606. I would like for the regulators to get back to that. And look at some of the archaic rules that we had that were implemented in late 2000s, you know, the early 2000s and 1999 around, you know, rule 605, which is best X around retail. Um, also things like limit order display obligation, which is requirements about retail orders posted in the public market, um, as well as potentially looking at regular MS to see if there's anything that needs to be enhanced from that standpoint. Um, so it would be great to see if there's some change of pace and, and get back to focusing on investors as opposed to just you know, solely going after exchanges. Well, thank you so much, Adam and Zerillo, for joining us today on the Trade Talks podcast. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you very much for having me. This is uh, always a good opportunity to kind of, you know, provide some uh, content and, you know, clarity around, you know, SIBO's position around the U.S. equity market. So appreciate the opportunity. Who is where? People moves. So a big thanks to Adam for speaking with us earlier. Uh, let's move on now to people moves. Annabelle, who's been moving where? Well, we've got a very exciting potential move, which is um, recently ESMA um, released its shortlist of its candidates for its new chair. So Stephen Majore was is due to step down from the position next year. Um, they announced that earlier on this year. Um, the new start date for the new chair will be in April, I think, next year. Um, so there's a short list of candidates. We've got Maria Luis Albuquerque. We've got Carmine de Noya and Verena Ross. Um, very exciting lineup. Albuquerque was serving as a minister for finance for the Portuguese government. She was also a member of the Portuguese parliament and a member of the European Commission. Um, Denoya is the current commissioner for CONSAB in Italy, um, a position which he's held for five years. Um, he's also served as the deputy director general um, at Axonim for nearly 11 years. And Ross is currently the executive director at ESMA, um, which she's been for 10 years. And she also previously served as a director at the FCA for 13 years. So three really fantastic candidates. Um, I'm not sure when we will hear, but I think it will be shortly as they have obviously released the shortlist. And I think it's being decided upon now um, by ESMA. But very exciting times ahead and looking forward to seeing who gets the position. I've also been looking at a people move uh, of an industry veteran, uh, Futures and Clearing industry veteran Jerome Kemp. He's taking on a senior advisor role at post-trade and blockchain technology provider, Batum Systems. Now, he has a combined 30 years experience across JP Morgan and City. And uh, Batum Systems said on Kemp that his clear derivatives and over-the-counter clearing expertise would help the company accelerate its plans to build an end-to-end FX settlement system. Yeah, the Jerome Kemp story is really interesting. We've had a lot of um, responses on social media, actually. So, I mean, obviously his years of experience makes him quite a big name in the space. Um, I have quite an interesting story as well that we, we covered today from Torstone Technology, um, which is all about their sort of upcoming plans for expansion and their series of new hires that they've appointed following an incredibly successful year during 2020. So I think... You know, Torstone Technology is definitely one of those firms that's benefited from the volatility in the markets during the pandemic. 
it's definitely sped up people's adoption of automated trading systems of the cloud. And obviously, you know, that being the area that they specialize in, they've predicted that they want to expand their company headcount by 30% next year. And the announcement actually follows a a quite long list of series of new hires um, this year already, including Donald O'Brien in the UK RS, um, Alvaro Del Pino Aguilara, um, in the Iberia arm of their business, and then Suki Dewan in their Canadian business as well, and then also Hidetoshi um, Kobayashi um, in their Japanese business. So they've, they've definitely been making moves to you know expand themselves quite significantly, and it obviously shows the success that they've had this year. Yeah, I saw that story come out, Annabelle, and I did have a little read. Uh, now I've got one more uh, I'm just going to finish with, and it is about Tim Gitz, former Eurex veteran. He's joining Quantitative Brokers to oversee its expansion strategy and team growth, including strategic sales, hires, and product developments on the firm's Algo suite. Now, Gitz was at Eurex for over 12 years, where he held uh, several sales roles, but was most recently Deputy Global Head of Fixed Income Funding and Financing for the European Exchange. Speaking about his new role, Gitz told the trade that we are working towards uh, growing our... That doesn't sound right, that quote. So the trade spoke to Gitz and he told us that he is working towards growing our follow the sun. Ah, one second. That's it. So Gitz spoke with the trade about this move uh, and he said, we are working towards growing our follow the sun model. We recently implemented the Singapore exchange and continue to grow the Australian securities exchange, ASX. So uh, the algo provider did launch its algorithm suite in Singapore in exchange. Uh, I'm having a one. The algo provider did launch its uh, algorithm suite on the Singapore exchange earlier in October this year. And that is it. Uh, let me do that one more time. Sorry, I'm going to do that one more time. So the trade actually spoke with Gitz, and he told us on the subject. We are working towards uh, growing our follower. The, ah, sorry, guys. Follow the sun. Yeah, I like that. I want to follow the sun. <laughs> so Gitz actually spoke with the trade and he told us on the subject that uh, we are working towards our growing our follow the sun model. We recently implemented the Singapore exchange and continue to grow our Australian securities exchange coverage. Now, the algo provider did launch its algorithm suite on the Singapore exchange earlier in October this year. And uh, that's all the people moves I have for today. Uh, quick reminder about what we have coming up. We have our event coming up in the new year in uh, February 2021. So keep your eyes out for stuff coming out around that. Uh, voting should be open now. And also, you can read the Q4 magazine of the trade online, issue 66. So go and give that a read while you can. And as always, uh, thank you, Annabelle and Haley, for joining us virtually. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Good to chat. Trade Talks, bringing you the best of the buy side.